0: chapter nine of cranford by elizabeth gaskell this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by noel badrian signor brunoni soon after the events of which i gave an account in my last paper i was summoned home by my father's illness and for a time i forgot in anxiety about him to wonder how my dear friends at cranford were getting on or how lady glenmire could reconcile herself to the dulness of the long visit which she was still paying to her sister-in-law mrs jamieson when my father grew a little stronger i accompanied him to the seaside so that altogether I seemed banished from Cranford, and was deprived of the opportunity of hearing any chance intelligence of the dear little town for the greater part of that year. Late in November, when we had returned home again, and my father was once more in good health, I received a letter from Miss Matty, and a very mysterious letter it was she began many sentences without ending them, running them one into another, in much the same confused sort of way in which written words run together on blotting paper. All I could make out was that, if my father was better, which she hoped he was, and would take warning and wear a great coat from Michaelmas to Lady Day, if turbans were in fashion could I tell her? Such a piece of gaiety was going to happen as had not been seen or known of since Wombwell's lions came, when one of them ate a little child's arm. And she was, perhaps, too old to care about dress. But a new cap she must have, and, having heard that turbans were worn, and some of the county families likely to come, she would like to look tidy if I would bring her a cap from the milliner I employed and oh dear how careless of her to forget that she wrote to beg i would come and pay her a visit next tuesday when she hoped to have something to offer me in the way of amusement which she would not now more particularly describe only sea green was her favourite colour so she ended her letter But in a P.S., she added, she thought she might as well tell me what was the peculiar attraction to Cranford just now. Signor Brunoni was going to exhibit his wonderful magic in the Cranford assembly rooms on Wednesday and Friday evening in the following week. I was very glad to accept the invitation from my dear Miss Matty, independently of the conjurer and most particularly anxious to prevent her from disfiguring her small gentle mousy face with a great saracen's head turban and accordingly i bought her a pretty neat middle-aged cap which however was rather a disappointment to her when on my arrival she followed me into my bedroom ostensibly to poke the fire but in reality i do believe to see if the sea-green turban was not inside the cap-box with which i had travelled it was in vain that i twirled the cap round on my hand to exhibit back and side fronts her heart had been set upon a turban and all she could do was to say with resignation in her look and voice i am sure you did your best my dear it is just like the caps all the ladies in cranford are wearing and they have had theirs for a year i dare say i should have liked something newer i confess something more like the turbans miss betty barker tells me queen adelaide wears but it is very pretty my dear and i dare say lavender will wear better than sea green well after all what is dress that we should care about it you'll tell me if you want anything my dear here is the bell I suppose turbans have not got down to drumble yet." So saying, the dear old lady, gently bemoaning herself out of the room, leaving me to dress for the evening, when, as she informed me, she expected Miss Pole and Mrs. Forrester, and she hoped I should not feel myself too much tired to join the party. Of course I should not, and I made some haste to unpack and arrange my dress but with all my speed i heard the arrivals and the buzz of conversation in the next room before i was ready just as i opened the door i caught the words i was foolish to expect anything very genteel out of the drumble shops poor girl she did her best i've no doubt but for all that i had rather that she blamed drumble and me than disfigure herself with a turban miss pole was always the person in the trio of cranford ladies now assembled to have had adventures she was in the habit of spending the morning in rambling from shop to shop not to purchase anything except an occasional reel of cotton or a piece of tape but to see the new articles and report upon them and to collect all the stray pieces of intelligence in the town she had a way, too, of demurely popping hither and thither into all sorts of places to gratify her curiosity on any point. A way which, if she had not looked so very genteel and prim, might have been considered impertinent. And now, by the expressive way in which she cleared her throat and waited for all minor subjects, such as caps and turbans, to be cleared off the course we knew she had something very particular to relate when the due pause came. And I defy any people, possessed of common modesty, to keep up a conversation long, where one among them sits up aloft in silence, looking down upon all the things they chance to say, as trivial and contemptible, compared to what they could disclose if properly entreated. Miss Pole began as i was stepping out of gordon's shop to-day i chanced to go into the george my betty has a second cousin who is chambermaid there and i thought betty would like to hear how she was and not seeing anyone about i strolled up the staircase and found myself in the passage leading to the assembly room you and i remember the assembly room i am sure miss matty and the minuets de la cour so i went on not thinking of what i was about when all at once i perceived that i was in the middle of the preparations for to-morrow night the room being divided with great clothes maids over which crosby's men were tacking red flannel very dark and odd it seemed it quite bewildered me and i was going on behind the screens in my absence of mind when a gentleman quite the gentleman i can assure you stepped forwards and asked if i had any business he could arrange for me he spoke such pretty broken english i could not help thinking of thaddeus of warsaw and the hungarian brothers and santo sebastiani and while i was busy picturing his past life to myself he had bowed me out of the room but wait a minute you have not heard half of my story yet i was going downstairs when who should i meet but betsy's second cousin so of course i stopped to speak to her for betsy's sake and she told me that i had really seen the conjurer the gentleman who spoke broken english was signor brunoni himself just at this moment he passed us on the stairs making such a graceful bow in reply to which i dropped a curtsy all foreigners have such polite manners one catches something of it but when he had gone downstairs i bethought me that if i had dropped my glove in the assembly-room it was safe in my muff all the time but i never found it till afterwards so i went back and just as i was creeping up the passage left on one side of the great screen that goes nearly across the room who should i see but the very same gentleman that had met me before and passed me on the stairs coming now forward from the inner part of the room to which there is no entrance you remember miss matty and just repeating in his pretty broken english the inquiry if i had any business there i don't mean that he put it quite so bluntly but he seemed very determined that i should not pass the screen so of course i explained about my glove which curiously enough i found at that very moment miss pole then had seen the conjurer the real live conjurer and numerous were the questions we all asked her had he a beard was he young or old fair or dark did he look unable to shape my question prudently i put it in another form how did he look in short miss pole was the heroine of the evening owing to her morning's encounter if she was not the rose that is to say the conjurer she had been near it conjuration sleight of hand magic witchcraft were the subjects of the evening miss pole was slightly sceptical and inclined to think there might be a scientific solution found for even the proceedings of the witch of endor mrs forrester believed everything from ghosts to death-watches miss matty ranged between the two always convinced by the last speaker i think she was naturally more inclined to mrs forrester's side but a desire of proving herself a worthy sister to miss jenkins kept her equally balanced miss Jenkins, who would never allow a servant to call the little rolls of tallow that formed themselves round the candles winding-sheets but instead on their being spoken of as roly-polies a sister of hers to be superstitious it would never do after tea i was dispatched downstairs into the dining-parlour for the volume of the old encyclopaedia which contained the nouns beginning with c in order that miss pole might prime herself with scientific explanations for the tricks of the following evening it spoilt the pool at preference which miss matty and mrs forrester had been looking forward to for miss pole became so much absorbed in her subject and the plates by which it was illustrated that we felt it would be cruel to disturb her otherwise than by one or two well-timed yawns which i threw in now and then for i was rarely touched by the meek way in which the two ladies were bearing their disappointment but miss pole only read the more zealously imparting to us no more interesting information than this ah i see i comprehend perfectly a represents the ball put a between b and d no between c and f and turn the second joint of the third finger of your left hand over the wrist of your right h very clear indeed my dear mrs forrester conjuring and witchcraft is a mere affair of the alphabet do let me read you this one passage mrs forrester implored miss pole to spare her saying from a child upwards she never could understand being read aloud to and i dropped the pack of cards which i had been shuffling very audibly and by this discreet movement i obliged miss pole to perceive that preference was to have been the order of the evening and to propose rather unwillingly that the pool should commence the pleasant brightness that stole over the other two ladies' faces on this. Miss Matty had one or two twinges of self reproach for having interrupted Miss Pole in her studies and did not remember her cards well or give her full attention to the game until she had soothed her conscience by offering to lend the volume of the encyclopaedia to Miss Pole, who accepted it thankfully and said betty should take it home when she came with the lantern the next evening we were all in a little gentle flutter at the idea of the gaiety before us miss mattie went up to dress betimes and hurried me until i was ready when we found we had an hour and a half to wait before the doors opened at seven precisely and we had only twenty yards to go however as miss matty said it would not do to get too much absorbed in anything and forget the time so she thought we had better sit quietly without lighting the candles till five minutes to seven so miss matty dozed and i knitted at length we set off and at the door under the carriageway at the george we met mrs forrester and miss pole the latter was discussing the subject of the evening with more vehemence than ever, and throwing A's and B's at our heads like hailstones. She had even copied one or two of the receipts, as she called them, for the different tricks on backs of letters, ready to explain and to detect Signor Brunoni's arts. We went into the cloak-room adjoining the assembly-room. Miss Matty gave a sigh or two to her departed youth and the remembrance of the last time she had been there as she adjusted her pretty new cap before the strange quaint old mirror in the cloakroom. the assembly-room had been added to the inn about a hundred years before by the different county families who met together there once a month during the winter to dance and play at cards Many a county beauty had first swum through the minuet that she afterwards danced before Queen Charlotte in this very room. It was said that one of the Gunnings had graced the apartment with her beauty. It was certain that a rich and beautiful widow, Lady Williams, had been smitten with the noble figure of a young artist who was staying with some family in the neighbourhood for professional purposes and accompanied his patrons to the Cranford Assembly and a pretty bargain poor lady williams had had of her handsome husband if all tales were true now no beauty blushed and dimpled along the sides of the cranford assembly-room no handsome artist won hearts by his bow chapeau bras in hand the old room was dingy the salmon-coloured paint had faded into a drab great pieces of plaster had chipped off from the white wreaths and festoons on its walls. But still a mouldy odour of aristocracy lingered about the place, and a dusty recollection of the days that were gone made Miss Matty and Mrs. Forrester bridle up as they entered, and walk mincingly up the room as if they were a number of genteel observers, instead of two little boys with a stick of toffee between them, with which to beguile the time we stopped short at the second front row i could hardly understand why until i heard miss pole ask a stray waiter if any of the county families were expected and when he shook his head and believed not mrs forrester and miss matty moved forward and our party represented a conversational square the front row was soon augmented and enriched by lady glenmire and mrs jameson We six occupied the two front rows, and our aristocratic seclusion was respected by the groups of shopkeepers who strayed in from time to time and huddled together on the back benches. At least I conjectured so from the noise they made and the sonorous bumps they gave in sitting down. But when, in weariness of the obstinate green curtain that would not draw up, but would stare at me with two odd eyes seen through holes as in the old tapestry story i would fain have looked round at the merry chattering people behind me miss pole clutched my arm and begged me not to turn for it was not the thing what the thing was i never could find out but it must have been something eminently dull and tiresome however we all sat eyes right square front gazing at the tantalizing curtain and hardly speaking intelligibly we were so afraid of being caught in the vulgarity of making any noise in a place of public amusement mrs jameson was the most fortunate for she fell asleep at length the eyes disappeared the curtain quivered one side went up before the other which stuck fast it was dropped again and with a fresh effort, and a vigorous pull from some unseen hand, it flew up, revealing to our sight a magnificent gentleman in the Turkish costume, seated before a little table, gazing at us. I should have said with the same eyes that I had last seen through the hole in the curtain, with calm and condescending dignity, like a being of another sphere, as I heard a sentimental voice ejaculate behind me that's not signor brunoni said miss pole decidedly and so audibly that i am sure he heard for he glanced down over his flowing beard at our party with an air of mute reproach signor brunoni had no beard but perhaps he'll come soon so she lulled herself into patience meanwhile miss matty had reconnoitred through her eyeglass wiped it and looked again then she turned round and said to me in a kind mild sorrowful tone you see my dear turbans are worn but we had no time for more conversation the grand turk as miss pole chose to call him arose and announced himself as signor brunoni i don't believe him exclaimed miss pole in a defiant manner he looked at her again with the same dignified upbraiding in his countenance i don't she repeated more positively than ever signor brunoni had not got that muffy sort of thing about his chin but looked like a close-shaved christian gentleman miss pole's energetic speeches had the good effect of waking mrs jamieson who opened her eyes wide in sign of the deepest attention a proceeding which silenced miss pole and encouraged the grand turk to proceed which he did in very broken english so broken that there was no cohesion between the parts of his sentences a fact which he himself perceived at last and so left off speaking and proceeded to action now we were astonished how he did his tricks i could not imagine no not even when miss pole pulled out her pieces of paper and began reading aloud or at least in a very audible whisper the separate receipts for the most common of his tricks if ever i saw a man frown and look enraged i saw the grand turk frown at miss pole but as she said what could be expected but unchristian looks from a mussulman if Miss Pole were sceptical and more engrossed with her receipts and diagrams than with his tricks, Miss Matty and Mrs. Forrester were mystified and perplexed to the highest degree. Mrs. Jameson kept taking her spectacles off and wiping them, as if she thought it was something defective in them which made the ledger domain and lady glenmire who had seen many curious sights in edinburgh was very much struck with the tricks and would not at all agree with miss pole who declared that anybody could do them with a little practice and that she would herself undertake to do all he did with two hours given to study the encyclopaedia and make her third finger flexible at last miss matty and mrs forrester became perfectly awe-stricken they whispered together i sat just behind them so i could not help hearing what they were saying miss matty asked mrs forrester if she thought it was quite right to have come to see such things she could not help fearing they were lending encouragement to something that was not quite a little shake of the head filled up the blank mrs forrester replied that the same thought had crossed her mind she too was feeling very uncomfortable it was so very strange she was quite certain that it was her pocket-handkerchief which was in that loaf just now and it had been in her own hand not five minutes before she wondered who had furnished the bread she was sure it could not be dakin because he was the churchwarden suddenly miss matty half turned towards me will you look my dear you are a stranger in the town and it won't give rise to unpleasant reports Will you just look round and see if the rector is here? If he is, I think we may conclude that this wonderful man is sanctioned by the church, and that will be a great relief to my mind. I looked, and I saw the tall, thin, dry, rusty rector, sitting surrounded by national schoolboys, guarded by troops of his own sex from any approach of the many Cranford spinsters his kind face was all agape with broad smiles and the boys around him were in chinks of laughing i told miss matty that the church was smiling approval which set her mind at ease i have never named mr hayter the rector because i as a well-to-do and happy young woman never came in contact with him he was an old bachelor but as afraid of matrimonial reports getting abroad about him as any girl of eighteen and he would rush into a shop or drive down an entry sooner than encounter any of the cranford ladies in the street and as for the preference parties i did not wonder at his not accepting invitations to them to tell the truth i always suspected miss pole of having given a very vigorous chase to mr hayter when he first came to cranford and not the less because now she appeared to share so vividly in his dread lest her name should ever be coupled with his he found all his interests among the poor and helpless he had treated the national schoolboys this very night to the performance and virtue was for once its own reward for they guarded him right and left and clung round him as if he had been the queen bee and they the swarm he felt so safe in their environment that he could even afford to give our party a bow as we filed out miss pole ignored his presence and pretended to be absorbed in convincing us that we had been cheated and had not seen signor brunoni after all end of chapter nine